Good morning, Risen Hope. It is good to be with you today. Um, a little weird, obviously, us not being able to, uh, to gather together at uh, Queensgate Baptist, um, but welcome to my home. And uh, I hope you've been enjoying the snow. Um, before we begin today, I want to just say a word of prayer and ask God for help as we dive into his word. Dear Jesus, uh, we need you. We, we need to see your glory here. As we go into John 5, we need to see your beauty and your worth and your power. And, and I just pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see it, um, that we would know you, that we would treasure you more because of this, Father. Um, I pray that your hand would work in, in, uh, in my communication today, that I would s- say things that are consistent and, and in alignment with your will and your desire, and that all of us, myself included, would, would um, open our hearts and receive the word that you have for us today, Father. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week, uh, we began a series called The Son Shows Us the Father. And uh, that's talking, of course, about Jesus Christ showing us God the Father at, within his ministry and in, in the word that we read. And uh, today we're, we're now starting to make our way through John 5. Um, and in John 5, uh, we really see a story that is at the crux of everything that we're trying to look at in this series. It's an event that ignites a chapter-long sermon from Jesus, effectively chapter-long where he articulates who God the Father is to him. And uh, we see really displayed um, in, in a profoundly deep way, the relationship between God the Son and God the Father. That's the entire purpose of John 5. That's the entire purpose of this series. And it happens to come on uh, the cusp of, or, or really because of this event that we're about to read. Jesus heals a man who's been paralyzed for uh, literally 45 or or almost uh, four decades, um, 38 years. And um, uh, he, 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 in healing this man is, is once again showing us the glory of his father. He's displaying the glory of his father through this act of mercy and, and compassion. But he does this on the Sabbath. Uh, which is the Jewish day of rest. And that is a problem for the religious leaders of that day, as you're going to see. So if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, you're in your home. So you should have a Bible near you. Grab it. Um, I want you to see this text and the other text that we're going to go to as we're looking at this this scene. Um, So turn with me to John 5. We're going to start with verse 1. And I'm going to read all the way down to verse 17. So John 5, 1 says this, after this, after the events of last week that we, we, we talked about just, uh, just a week ago, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. That's the man I was talking about earlier. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the water. 
or put me into the pool, pool when the water is being stirred up. And while I'm going another steps down before me, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd. After Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, listen to this. My father is working until now and I am working. So there's another feast. Last week, we saw a lot of the events kind of were flowing from a feast that had happened in Jerusalem. Here, there's another feast. Jesus goes down to this pool that is known as Bethesda. And John tells us that gathered there are uh, a lot of, of, of people. These people are invalids. Um, in, in, in the Greek, the word there that they translate invalid is really uh, the word ailing, people who are being afflicted by something. And he describes these people that some of them are blind, some of them are lame, some of them are paralyzed, and they're all here by this pool. And John says that there's a, a man who's been there um, and he's, he's, he's been paralyzed for 38 years. That's older than most of the people we have at our church. Um, and verse six tells us that when Jesus saw him lying there by the pool and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now I want to make an observation before we look at this man's response. I want to just notice something about Jesus. That's important for us. Jesus knew that this man had been there a long time, almost four decades. He was paralyzed and Jesus knew this, not because he had been stalking the man or had some secret information. Jesus knew this about this man because he knew everything about this man, just like he knows everything about you and I. Jesus knows everything about your life right now, all of it. He knows your pain. He knows the ways that you've suffered. He knows uh, your uh, secrets. He knows the sins that you struggle with that nobody else knows. He knows everything about you, all of it. And he knows it just like he knows this man. And I, I kind of want you to feel that because of what he's about to do next. Jesus goes to this man, knowing everything about him. He goes to this man and he says to, to him, do you want to be healed? This is his question. Do you want to be healed? And in Greek, this word healed means made whole. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be complete is the question that Jesus is asking. And I think we often think about people coming to Jesus and asking him to heal them. But Jesus here is, is explicitly asking this man, do you want to be healed? 
and the man doesn't really quite get it. Instead, he, he tries to explain to Jesus um, what he's been doing to be healed. And if you have the ESV version, that's the version that I, of the Bible that I've been reading from. In the ESV, you'll see that verse four isn't in this passage. It goes from three to five. And the reason why is verse four isn't included in, in the main text because it's not in the, the best manuscripts that we have of this particular passage. Uh, we have thousands and thousands of New Testament manuscripts that give us a really accurate understanding of what the original manuscript said. And this isn't in the best manuscripts we have, but it does provide us with a very helpful understanding of why this man was even at the pool. The Jews evidently at that time believed that, that God sent an angel to stir up the waters in specific seasons. And anyone who was in the pool when the waters were being stirred was healed. And so this man has been trying to do this for a long time. Uh, verse seven indicates that he's been doing it and it probably is, has been for years. He has been trying to get into this water to be healed. Now think about that just for a moment. Years of fighting and struggling and working with all your might to get into that water so that you would be healed, but not being able to, not being able to make it down there in time. And now after all these years, we get to verse eight in John five, where this happens. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And it says, at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and he walked. So Jesus heals this man. He heals this man after literally decades of suffering, decades of suffering. Um, he makes this man whole in a single moment. The man stood up for the first time in 38 years, he takes his bed up and he is walking around. It's hard for us to imagine. This is half a lifetime of paralysis, of not being able to move around the way you want to, the way you would desire to. And in a moment, this man has freedom and he can walk. But verse nine reveals to us a problem with all of this. Um, the day that Jesus happened to heal this man was the Sabbath. It's the Jewish day of rest where it was not lawful or legal to pick up your bed and to move it around. And yet Jesus had commanded this man to do exactly that. Now, the word Sabbath um, refers to the seventh day in the week. It originally uh, comes from Genesis 2-3, where God, after creating the entire universe, blesses the seventh day, six days he spent making the cosmos. And then on the seventh day, he makes it holy by resting on it, by not doing any more work. And in Exodus 20, uh, we see that the Sabbath day becomes formally part of the law. The, the command is really, really simple. God provides his people all that they're going to need for seven days of living but he requires that they abstain from working on the seventh and treat it holy and, and rest on that seventh day that they spend it not working, but resting in him. <clears throat> and the Jews in this text, likely they're, they're religious leaders. So they understand this command very well. They see this man moving his bed and they tell him in verse 10, 
that because it's the Sabbath, he's breaking the law right now by moving his bed. And this ac- this accusation in verse 10 is really going to ignite a firestorm. It's going to create this confrontation, confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders. Um, the man in, in verse uh, 11 responds and tells them, listen, the one who healed me told me to do this. He healed me. And then he told me to do this. I'm only doing what he said. And in verse 12, not acknowledging the healing, they basically just say, well, who was it who told you to do that? Who told you to do that? And the man here doesn't know who it was. And I think for a brief moment, if you're just reading through the the book of John, you're like, oh, he doesn't know who it is. So Jesus can't really get in trouble for what he did. Crisis averted. But Jesus doesn't care about getting in trouble at all. Um, the story is not finished because Jesus isn't finished with this man. He, he finds this man in the temple. He comes to him again and he says to him, see, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. So Jesus wasn't finished with this man. Not yet. He tells him here, first off, see, you're well, you're well. And, and I think that seems pretty straightforward to us. Of course, he's well, he's been healed of 38 years of paralysis. He must be well, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he continues and says, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So why, why say that Jesus? Well, Jesus is showing this man that something's happened to him that is, that is greater than he even fully realizes. There is, there is more going on in him right now. I mean, infinitely more, and that is not an overstatement, than a simple physical healing. Think about it. <clears throat> this man obeyed Jesus when he told him to stand up. That's what happened. The man obeyed Jesus when he told him to stand up, which indicates a kind of trust in him a faith in him, even though, even though he didn't really fully understand who it was who told him that now he does, he's looking face to face with Jesus. And so there was in that first encounter, a seed of faith in him obeying Jesus's command to stand. And now that seed of faith is growing. Jesus tells him, see, you're well, you are well, and you are more well than you even realize you've been healed physically but if your faith remains fixed on me, remains anchored on me, this is more than physical healing. Something of eternal significance happened here. It is a spiritual healing because now you have seen, probably for the first time in your entire life, the one who can make you whole. And so the reason Jesus says, sin no more, that that nothing worse may happen to you isn't because he's expecting or anticipating a morally perfect life from this man from now on. Otherwise he's going to take the use of his legs back. That's not at all what's going on here. What, What Jesus is saying is, is that in Christ, now that he is trusting in Jesus, he has been forgiven of every single sin. And now he must live his life and walk out his life in that forgiveness by not sinning. Jesus is saying that the only thing now in his life, the only thing that is worse than 38 years of paralysis 
is an eternity cut off from God. That's the only thing that's worse. That's why he says nothing worse may happen to you. In, in eternity cut off from God. Think about that. We call that reality in the scriptures hell. Um, and it is this eternity of, of conscious agony and pain for those who do not love God and who have embraced sin over God and embraced the world over God and, and therefore severed their, themselves from their maker and from the only real and true source of joy and happiness. And Jesus is saying, in effect here, listen, the only thing that can separate you from me is your sin. That's it. That is it. There is nothing that can rob you of your eternal joy in God, but your own sin. So let it go. Let go of your sin. Let go of anything in your life that keeps you from trusting in me and from embracing me. Because being paralyzed for four decades is nothing compared to an eternity without God. Jesus wants him to know this fact. So let go of your sin, he's saying to this man. You've been made well, not just so that you can physically walk. You've been made well so that you can walk with Christ the rest of your life. And that is what Jesus is, is leaving this man. That's what he imparts to this man. Um, and, and then we see what happens in verse 15. After this, it says that the man went away and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And then we see Jesus answer that persecution, answer their indignation towards what just happened. And he does it by saying this statement. Listen to this statement. My father is working until now and I am working. So let's think about this. John said that the Jews were persecuting Jesus because specifically he was doing these things on the Sabbath when it's not lawful to do them. And Jesus sees this. He sees that they have a problem with him healing people on the Sabbath. And he looks right into that antagonism and he responds with this statement. My father is working until now and I am working. Now that's massive. That's huge. And I don't think you and I removed from the context that they were in feel the weight of that text. But let me tell you, they do. They feel the weight of Jesus's statement. And we can tell that they do because if you read verse 18 in this text, you can see they were not excited about what he just said. Verse 18 says this, in other words, Jesus's response to them was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, to kill him. Because not only was Jesus breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. John is saying that the Jews walked away from Jesus's statement, not only believing that he was a Sabbath breaker, which is bad enough in their eyes, but that in call calling God his own father, he was making himself equal to God. What Jesus said here was in their minds sufficient for them to want to kill him, for them to want to have him executed. He was claiming to be equal with God, equal to God by saying that God was his father. He was saying the, the reason he's healing people on the Sabbath is because his father is about healing people on the Sabbath. And to the, the Jewish religious leaders of that time, that statement is worthy of death. 
that statement, it, it warrants his execution. And as we're going to see, this is what ignites all that will follow in chapter five in the coming weeks, God willing. And so I want to really understand at the sort of beginning of our movement into John five, what Jesus is saying. My father, he says, is working until now and I am working. What do you mean, Jesus, by that? Like, what are you trying to say? And so to answer that question, what I want us to do is I want to go to Matthew 12, a few books to the left in your Bible. And I want to look at a different story. And what we're going to find here is not only an explanation of what Jesus means when he says this statement about his father working until now and him working with his father, but we're going to see why it is that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. What's his point? Like, why not heal on Monday? Why not heal on Wednesday? Or, or, or why not heal on Friday? He, he, he doesn't need to heal on the Sabbath, but if you read the Gospels, you can tell he's doing this on purpose. He's always healing people on the Sabbath. And so <clears throat> turn with me to Matthew 12. We're going to look at verse one. I'm going to read through this story and, and explain it as we go along. Um, so verse one says this, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So here we go again. Here we have another accusation by the religious leaders. And at this time it's connected to the disciples who are plucking the heads of grain and eating the grain and they're doing it on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is going to respond to him. Look at verse three. He says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? So Jesus's response to the Pharisees, the religious leaders who have an issue with this situation in the, in the, in the grain fields is this scripture. He responds by giving two examples of the old Testament. He's using their own Bibles to teach them. And the irony of course, is that, uh, and he does this all the time. He's asking them, have you ever read, have you read your Bible? Do you know what it says inside of it? Uh, which you can tell probably did not make them feel too, uh, too generous towards him. Um, because they're, they're, he was saying it though, because their accusation implies that they haven't read it or at least don't understand it. And he's about to teach them here what it means. This is ironic because these are Pharisees. They are effectively Bible experts. They know their Old Testament. And, and so Jesus is going to list now two examples, two events in the scriptures one is about David and one is about the priest. So this David event he's going to, uh, to use is before David was king of Israel. And it was in 1 Samuel 21, David and his men are, are going to the town of Nob and they get to this town fleeing the king of that time, which was Saul, who was trying to kill David. And David asked the priest in this story for bread, for food. And the only bread that they have is the bread of the presence, the bread that's in God's house. It was bread that was dedicated to God and it was not lawful for anyone to eat except for the priest. But David and his men eat this bread. 
And then Jesus shifts from that example, which is very similar to the scene we see in the grain fields. And he goes to another example. He says, uh, while we're on the subject of priest, let me tell you something else that happened in the Old Testament. You know that in the law, priests are required to work on the Sabbath. They work in the temple all the time, including the Sabbath. So how is it that they're able to work in the temple? profaning, breaking the Sabbath by doing work on the Sabbath, and yet in God's eyes be held as guiltless. How is that possible? And to be clear, and this does need to be made clear, Jesus's point isn't that the Sabbath is not important and that the Sabbath doesn't need to be kept. That's not his point. His point here is that some things are simply more important than the Sabbath. God gave man the Sabbath to rest, but some things in his ministry, he wanted to make this clear, supersede the Sabbath. He's saying that David's survival was more important than the bread of the presence being left there or or only given to the priest. It was more important than that. Uh, Or this temple ceremonies that the priests do, those are more important than them abstaining from work on the Sabbath. So God holds them guiltless because they must work on the Sabbath. That's their appointed job. And so Jesus um, is showing precedence in the scriptures for why his disciples can eat grain on the Sabbath. And now in verse six of this text, he's going to drive this point home. Listen to what he says here. He says, to the Pharisees, I tell you something greater than the temple, the temple that the priests serve in is here. And if you had known what this means, he's going to quote the words of God in the old Testament. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, if you know anything about the context here, you, can, you probably can tell this did not thrill the Pharisees. Jesus has just said that the reason his disciples can eat grain on the Sabbath is because the temple next to Jesus is nothing. The temple is nothing compared to Christ. Something greater than the temple is here, meaning him, meaning Jesus. In other words, Jesus is greater than the temple. Jesus is greater than David. And if David was guiltless, if the priests were guiltless, how much more is Christ in those who are with him? And then he continues by quoting Hosea 6, 6. We were just in Hosea actually. Um, so it's cool that we come, come back to here in this text. Hosea 6, 6, where, where God tells his own people, his heart, his desire, the, 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 the uh, order of his affections for what he wants from his people. And he says, he desires mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, mercy always preempts sacrifice. It's always more important than a religious activity um, or law. In the eyes of God, when there's a clear need, a clear need that comes before Sabbath rest. And this is precisely what happened in Matthew 12. And interestingly enough, just after Jesus says this statement to the Pharisees, we see this very principle played out. Look at verse nine um, in Matthew 12. 
it says he, Jesus, went on from there and entered their synagogue. So he's going into their territory. The Pharisees are now with him in the middle of the synagogue. And it says, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? This is the Pharisees asking Jesus, is it lawful? And it says, so that they might accuse him. This is a trap. He says to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he looks over to this man with the withered hand and he says, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand and it was restored healthy like the other. Um, But then it says the Pharisees, this is not going to surprise you, went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So the very thing that Jesus just got done preaching or teaching the, the, the Pharisees about, they test him on in the middle of their synagogue. And he shows them why they're wrong. They would rescue their own sheep if it fell into a pit on the Sabbath. But when it comes to him healing somebody of an affliction that they have, healing a man of a withered hand, they think that's wrong. They think that's wicked. And so Jesus is exposing their hypocrisy in this scene. He heals the man with the withered hand and then he looks to him and he says, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, even if it comes through working. Doing good on the day of rest is the right thing to do as far as Jesus is concerned. And the Pharisees hate him for it. In fact, they're conspiring here, figure out a way to destroy him. They want him dead. So what is Jesus's point about the Sabbath? Why is he so dead set on healing on that day? Well, the reason that Jesus healed this man with the withered hand on the Sabbath, the reason that his disciples were eating grain and plucking the heads on, uh, on a Sabbath day. And the reason, <laughs> excuse me, back in John five, that Jesus heals that man who was paralyzed for 38 years, all of those on the Sabbath, the reason he does this is because he's trying to communicate what he just told us in Matthew 12, eight, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of the Sabbath. The son of man, that's who Jesus is, is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath belongs to Jesus Christ. It's his day. And he is working on the Sabbath because the father is working on the Sabbath and their work is healing this broken world. That's what they're about. That's what they're doing. The work of Jesus on the Sabbath is to heal the brokenness that are, that is in this world. And that's the whole point of the the statement in John five, my father is working until now and I am working. Jesus is showing us in these acts of mercy and compassion by reaching into the lives of broken people and not only restoring physical health, but bringing them face to face with the love of God, the only one who can make them whole, he is showing them who the father is. And what's interesting is that Jesus, before this scene in Matthew 12 even happens in the grain field and in the synagogue, before that even happens, Jesus at the very end of Matthew chapter 11 makes this very explicit. He actually states it. There's a reason why Matthew ordered the gospel in such a way where he put these two things together. And you're going to see this immediately after 
uh, this statement, Jesus is, uh, we're about to read all these events pertaining to the Sabbath day of rest happen. And, and Matthew's purpose here is, is to show the intimacy between Christ, the son of God and God, the father are the reason for why Jesus does what he does on the Sabbath. It points to the true rest that we have in Christ. Listen to this, Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my father. This is Jesus talking. My father's given me everything. And no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus, the son of God, the eternal word who has existed from all eternity alongside his father, he knows his father in heaven and the father knows his son. But the only way that you and I can know the father is by Jesus revealing him to us. And so if you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know what he sounds like, if you want to know what he's like in this world, look to Jesus. Jesus is the one who's showing us the father and he's showing us the father on the Sabbath to make something really clear for us that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and that it is through him alone that we have rest. Listen to the, to the remainder of verse uh, of this passage, starting with verse 28, just before the debate that he's about to have with the Pharisees about the Sabbath and before him healing this man on the day of rest, he says this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm willing to bet most of us have heard that passage uh, from Jesus before, but what we may not realize is how deeply connected it is with the Sabbath event that's about to happen in Matthew 12. Um, and here, what Jesus is saying here is if you want true rest, if you want real rest for your soul, you need to go to him. He is the, he is the one who can give you rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. There is no true Sabbath rest for anyone in this world apart from Jesus Christ, period. And he is the reason we have a Sabbath. The Sabbath was always meant to point to Jesus, the rest we have in Christ, the rest that is only found in him. So how are you and I, when we read a text like this in John 5 and see all the different attending realities in Matthew 12, how are you and I to respond to this? I want to go back to John 5 real quick and just refresh our minds with what was going on there. Think about this. The man who was paralyzed kept working to get into the water. He kept fighting to get in the water, desperately trying to heal himself, but he couldn't. He couldn't. He was paralyzed. He could not get himself into the water. Jesus instead finds him. He sees him and he goes to this man and he asks this man, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made whole? 
And this man, he's been struggling probably for years to get into this water. He's paralyzed. He can't do it. But here's the deal. You and I are just as paralyzed spiritually. We cannot heal ourselves of all the things that are broken in our lives. Our hearts, our minds, our souls, all the different things that we pursue in this world, we can't heal ourselves. This is the plight of mankind. This is the plight of humanity. Humankind is desperately seeking joy and contentment and completion and satisfaction on our own. And we are laboring and working with all of our might to make ourselves whole, to make ourselves right, to fix what is broken. And here's the deal. Jesus is the only one who can make us whole. We will never find true rest or happiness or any kind of good that is ultimate and eternal in our lives in something that the world provides. And we'll we'll certainly never find it if we ignore the one who is offering it to us, the only one who can actually give it to us, and that's Jesus. We can't heal ourselves. We can't make ourselves whole, so we need Christ. And Jesus looks into that, and he wants us to know his father is working, and he is working. And what he meant by that, this is huge. He meant that after six days of creation, God rested. On the seventh day, he sanctified it. He made it holy and he rested on that day. But that isn't the end of the story. The Bible continues. In Genesis 3, humanity falls. They sin. They betray God. And so God, in response to that tragedy, goes back to work. He's not creating new things. He's not creating more things in the physical universe. He is conducting his work of redemption. God sets out from that moment on to redeem what has been broken by sin. In Genesis 3, right after the fall, God promises to send a redeemer. He promises to send a rescuer, a savior, a Messiah, a Christ. God promises Jesus in Genesis 3. Someone who could erase our sins, forgive our sins. Someone who could make us whole and fix the things that are broken in us. And someone, listen to me, who could provide us with true rest. The Lord of the Sabbath. That's the work that Christ is talking about in John 5, when he says, my father is working until now and I am working. He's talking about the work of redemption. And Christ, listen to me, does this work all the way to the cross. The way he does this work is by dying in our place and paying for our sins so that you and I could have the rest we are so desperately seeking and so desperately need. And, and I don't know what kind of week you may have had or where your life might be right now. I think this is true for every season, but I, I want you just to hear me now. Jesus sees you like he saw that man in John 5. Right now, 
all of your situations, all of your problems, all of your troubles. He sees you and he knows you perfectly like he knew that man. He knows everything about you, your weaknesses, the areas that you're hurting, the areas that you're broken. And Jesus is offering you right now, true rest. Jesus is offering you wholeness. Without Christ, you will never find true rest, promising you. You will never be whole outside of Christ. That's the whole point of this story in John 5. So in a few moments, you're in your home right now, and and maybe you can pause it real quick and get communion elements. If your faith is in Christ Jesus, I invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper where we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross for us. And um, I want you, as you partake in this, to hear Jesus's voice to you through this passage in John 5. Jesus is asking you right now, no matter what your circumstance is, he's asking you, do you want to be whole? Or in Matthew 11, he's asking you, do you want rest? The Lord of the Sabbath wants to know, do you want rest? Because he is secured your Sabbath rest in him by his own blood. Jesus has purchased and ransomed your completedness, your rest by the cross that he died on and suffered for. Your eternal rest is available only through him. And I want you to feel this. This is what you were made for. You may not know that. You were made for this rest. This is why you exist. You exist to know the one who worked for you even to the point of death on the cross so that you could truly rest, so that you could have the kind of wholeness that you were always intended to have, the kind of of peace and joy that you were always intended to have. This is what Christ purchased on the cross. And so when he says to you, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and you will have rest. I want to invite you today, Risen Hope, to just believe him. Just believe him and go to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome opportunity uh, to uh, be able to get into your word, even though we're not in the same place, Father God, even though we're separated, just the grace that you show us through common things like technology. Lord, I pray that, that whatever burdens we're carrying today, whatever kind of complexities there are in our work week or in just the hecticness of home life or um, spending time with children or whatever it might be, Father God, the, just the, the labors that are on your people, specifically Risen Hope, my, my church family, I pray that you would just reach into our lives and communicate the truthfulness of this rest that we have in Jesus Christ so that we don't just hear words and agree with them, but so that our, our souls embrace this truth with great joy. And we can feel the burdens of our life being lifted from us because we actually do know that true rest is only found in Jesus. He's the source of our rest. He is the source of our wholeness. We need him, Father God. Help us see that this week. In the name of Jesus, amen.